This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Boom. Father Bonaventure Chapman, it's been a little while since we've recorded an episode together. I feel like there was a three-week period where we recorded all of the episodes because everyone was having technical difficulties and we were just persistent enough. So uh, in the time that has transpired since our last, um, what would you call that, recording session, how are things? Unsurprisingly, the same. Um, (laughs) My life consists of uh, moving from a chapel to a refectory to a cell and then smashing fingers uh, on computer and using flipping pages. I flip pages, smash fingers, fingers, read German, flip pages, repeat. It's like live, (laughs) die, and repeat, except Tom Cruise doesn't die in it. I do in a little way each time. Yeah. I like to describe the Dominican life as a four-step process, and I change the three steps depending on time, place, setting, and circumstance. But in our present situation, it's like study, 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 die. Um, And studying is not as glorious or glamorous as it once was when you were reading cool books and taking notes on them and being examined, examined, examinated, Mm -hmm. Um, Examinated. and and having that all confined within four-month chunks where you're like, ah, yes. What a very easily realizable goal, which I will certainly be done with by the second week of May. Whereas now it's like you feel that crushing weight upon your shoulders, which kind of gets in behind your face and feels like fatigue, sadness, and just overwhelming world, oppressive, cosmic deathscape. Yeah, that's your dissertation. (laughs) Yeah, you go back and forth between this is the weight of the world is on me to really focus on this. I need to, now I need to look on this other side thing because of digressions, because it's super important to this and no one's done it yet. And and you keep like spinning out and you go from that to then all of a sudden there's this moment of clarity, which happens that you say, no one cares. The reason why no one's done this before is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't (laughs) matter. You know, and then you have to, so that's the point where you have to steal yourself and you have to deny truth. Um, which is tough for a Dominican. I think Dominicans, it's a harder time for dissertations. You need to just say, Veritas, not this time, not this time. And then you get again on the kind of, this is important and no one's paid attention to this and it's ground, and I, and I therefore just fight the anxiety and the pressure of doing this important project. Tell that guy, tell that guy comes back, you know, he's been coming back pretty hard recently. He, uh, I let my guard down a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there are certain points in the process. So every time I write a chapter, I prepare a text document and the text document is primarily primary sources. And then secondarily, you see where this is going. Secondary sources <laughs> all arranged <laughs> according what to my tertiary outline. tertiary so sources way, anyway? <laughs> so that way when I'm tapping along, I, uh, I will look over and consult my text document so as to incorporate the things which are necessary for incorporating. Uh, but, but every once in a while, I'll look at my text and I'll be like, this doesn't belong in this part of the outline. And so I'll cop or I'll cut it and then I'll paste it in a later part of the same outline or maybe paste it in a later chapter. And then there comes a moment of reckoning for some of these texts where I realize, like you said, that they're not actually important and that they don't pertain to my subject, at least not like directly. And so yeah. I can just highlight them as done without actually having incorporated them at all. And then I realize that a lot of my life is going to be spent in such misadventures, where I'm going to read books, which won't necessarily have content in them, which will bear on my dissertation or on my research of any of any stripe, and are just like, yeah, are just 
are just a kind of waste. <laughs> yeah, the I mean, is, prayer. Yeah. I mean, prayer is like wasting time with God, right? Uh, and that's good. Dissertations are kind of wasting time away from God. And that's okay. Anyway, this feels like though it's a uh, we're just telling people not to get dissertations. Um, <laughs> that's not the case. And the episode really isn't about dissertations, as far as I remember. I'm not positive. No, we it's might not. just turn it into yeah. Well, it could be insofar as my dissertation is about Christ. Uh, so we are in the midst of our back to belief series, and so you have followed along patiently as we've covered truth. So the very possibility of having access to something outside the mind, uh, or something outside of oneself and then revelation the 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 terrible thing or the marvelous thing terrible and good i suppose in c.s lewis type language uh that that god speaks right so god makes himself known and then god which is to say we talked well it wasn't me but father bonaventure and father jacob bertrand talked about the god who represents the beginning and the end of this movement whereby we ourselves receive our life and then render our life back and now we're going to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, is God incarnate, God in human flesh. So when St. Thomas talks about the Lord, he makes a, a basic distinction between, well, so this is in the context of the Summa Theologiae, his big book of theology. He makes a distinction between kind of who Christ is and then what Christ does. So in the following conversation, we're going to observe this loose structure. And when it comes to our belief, and mind you, we're kind of wending our way to the Eucharist, which we're going to spend a lot of time on during the Easter season as a way by which to commemorate this Eucharistic revival that is afoot in the church and especially in the United States. Um, so as we think about who Christ is, what for you, Father Bonaventure, are, are things that we need to touch upon that we just simply can't, we can't entertain the subject without having, um, without having treated these issues. It seems like one of the most important things is his divinity and his humanity. Um, he's a, he's the God man, as we say, and that can seem strange and contradictory. And so it makes sense of, well, how exactly is the God man? Is he the God man? And that's the distinction between like persons and natures. And St. Thomas did a really good, in fact, St. Thomas in his own like dissertation uh, research was a man of the archives. And he went to Rome and, and dug up some, some old texts that help to clarify some of these issues. Because of course, as anyone knows on the street, if you stop them and ask, um, there was a whole debate about, well, exactly how is Christ the God man? Was he a man first that then became God? Was he always God and just wore a man suit, but wasn't really a man? Was he both man and God? That ding, yes. Um, well, okay, but how could he be both 100% man, 100% God, whatever that means? And this is the first couple hundred years of the church was hashing out this not unimportant, in fact, extremely important uh, fact, theological fact, you could say, about persons and natures. But St. Thomas, um, in a sense, in the 1200s, of course, like researched it himself and did some original archive work uh, to make sense of it with some cool distinctions. So I think person and natures is, is pretty important. And as maybe a thumbnail sketch of that discussion, we can say that Christ is one who and two what's. And I think that typically merits a Father Bonaventure eye roll. Certainly it merits a Father Jacob Bertrand eye roll. But I mean, it's simple, but I think it's just a good thing to lay hold of insofar as it gives us an entry into the mystery. So our Lord Jesus Christ is one divine person, right? So he is the second person of the most blessed Trinity, whom we call the Son, whom we call the Word, whom we call the Image. And... The second person of the most blessed Trinity is begotten 
from the Father or is begotten by the Father from all eternity. But that procession, right, that, that, that generation is what we would call it, uh, becomes the principle of God's, well, of the second person of the most blessed Trinity's procession into the world in time. So we describe it as a mission, right? So, so there's a, a visible mission of the second person of the most blessed Trinity. And that names the fact that he proceeds from the Father, but he proceeds to creation and is made present to creation in a new way in the taking of human flesh. So in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, he takes to himself or he assumes a human nature. So he is one divine person who subsists in divine nature and in human nature. So one who and two what's. I don't yeah. know, Father Bonaventure, if you have any go if you have any go to like philosophical or hyperconceptual ways by which to capture this phenomenon that you think uh, do uh, service to the mystery or help people to uh, appreciate it better. Well, it seems like a Mr. Rogers moment. I'm supposed to pull up like a toolbox or like to let the little train come. Let me see what I got in here. Oh, cool. Conceptual distinctions. Um, no, I think it's uh, that's what, what the philosophers are called to do is we fix stuff, I guess, conceptually, supposedly. Theologians are like, they bring the train to the heights and we just kind of work on the on the, the wheels and the, and the, and the gears. Um, it's it seems the claim that he's and it's such an important claim he is a divine person be like oh christ is a human person no he's not there's only one person his who he's not he's not schizophrenic he's not he's a he's the who a divine who he's the second person of the blessed trinity but what he's two what's and you might think well how could you be two what's and one who and that's only because for us what's and who's are related not identified dare i say um, but related such that I am a human person, but uh, and my nature is a human nature. But these come apart. They need not be uh, related. Um, so they don't need to come one to one. For instance, um, well, squirrels have a nature. Let's grant that. They have a nature. But they're not persons. Let's just grant that, okay? It's a longer discussion. But I think we can all agree that they're not persons. And if you feel, no, squirrels are kind of persons, I saw more in top hats, then let pick your favorite animal, ant or whatever. Go down the chain as far as you want to go, worm, and just try to give that personhood um, and say whatever. It has a nature, but it's not a, so it's a what, but not a who. You know, there's no, the squirrels aren't who's. We name them kind of naming. Um, so they have natures, but not persons. So natures and persons come apart and then go above us, right, to God. He's three persons, but not three natures, because you can't have three natures of God. God is the highest of things, and you're going to have one of those. So three persons, one nature for him, one person, one nature for us, zero persons, one nature for squirrels, and one person, two natures for Christ. All that's to say is that, and then rocks don't have, nat uh, rocks are zero natures and zero persons. They're not natures. Um, okay, so that's a, that's more, that's a more philosophical kind of controversial statement, but I believe it's true. Um, it's just heaps of things. Not, okay. Uh, tables goes for them too. Um, so these natures and persons come apart, so they need not be necessarily together. And that at least gives us a space to say, oh, okay, you can have an entire human nature, Christ does, and relate to it as a person while not be as if not that that's, that nature is a person in that in that way, like it came with one. Uh, and that means that the human nature becomes, in, in a sense, an instrument uh, for the divine nature, which is crucial, I think, to St. Thomas's account, as Father Gregory has written pages and pages upon.
All right. So I think maybe a good way to talk about instrumentality and then bridge into some of the things that our Lord Jesus Christ did uh, is to describe salvation. And we're going to get to that in this here back to belief series when we talk specifically about like the church and the sacraments. But here we'll just introduce it in germ because when St. Thomas broaches the subject of Christology, he, he describes our Lord Jesus Christ as our way of tending unto God. Um, so like the kind of way of truth who demonstrates the divine nature in his human flesh so that we can enjoy that divine nature. Um, so, okay, we've talked a little bit about who God is. So one, excuse me, we've talked a little bit about who Christ is, one divine person, two natures. And, and we've already gestured to the fact that his human nature is like an instrument. And the way that we use instrument ordinarily, we're talking about a tool that you pick up in order to perform some work more easily or more precisely or more accurately or whatever it might be. All right. So when you think about God's dealing with man, God doesn't need us for anything. And so it's for us in a certain sense. Um, mind you, we can describe it as for God insofar as it's for his glory. But our participation in his glory is, is a matter of salvation. So God takes to himself human nature in order to save us. And we'll see how that plays out in the mysteries. But right now, uh, this idea of instrumentality, I think, is huge because we have all kinds of instruments. Um, and so you can think about instruments that are like dead instruments, like a saw, right? An inanimate instrument. You can think about uh, like living instruments. Uh, so horses that you would, whatever, yoke together in order to pull a plow if you're a 19th century Russian serf appearing in the novel The Possessed by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I guess there are other people who still do that, but whatever. Okay. Um, and then you have animate rational instruments. All right. So like the example that St. That Thomas gives is a slave that the master sends to the marketplace. And when you, when you kind of go up the chain of being with instruments, uh, the, the higher the instrument, the more it can interiorize the end or the more that it can interiorize the very, the very working of the cause, of the principal cause. All right. And then St. Thomas has this other distinction where he says some instruments are separated and then some instruments are conjoined. So as an example of a separated instrument, again, we can talk about one of the one of the things that he uses most often is a tool called an ads. And to be completely honest, I don't even know what that is. All right. But like an ads is a separate instrument. All right. So it's not part of me. But then he says, like, your hand is a conjoined instrument. So I go about the work of whatever, writing my dissertation by using my hands, which are instruments, as it were, of my soul uh, and through which I act. But they're conjoined to me. All right. So we've got these two schemas or schema, schemata. Uh, you've got inanimate, animate, non-rational, yeah. animate, rational, and then you've got separate and conjoined. He says it's, it's basically uniquely the case of our Lord's sacred humanity that it is both animate, rational, and conjoined. So it's the most sublime of instruments, and it's the most instrument, intimate of instruments. And the purpose for which is to introduce our human nature into the Godhead in as sublime and intimate a way as possible. So that in acting through that humanity, we ourselves can be introduced into a participation of the Godhead of a similar sort. Now, mind you, is it going to be the same? No, because he's the natural son of God. We're adopted sons of God. He is the image. We are made to the image. Um, so there's going to have to be differences or distinctions in the way in which he participates the Godhead and we participate the Godhead. He is God. We are sons and daughters of God. 
But this, this image here of instrumentality is very beautiful for one, very elegant. And it helps us to do the work of seeing why it is that he might adopt a human nature in order to introduce us, fallen men and women, back into the mystery of the divine life that we had turned away from in sin. All right. So I just yeah. talked for a little bit there. Father Bonaventure, well, your thoughts on instrumentality. Drill no, down. I'm, go for it. No, I think it's 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 beautiful. And Thomas is exactly, and you're you're dead on about the, the highest form of instrument uh, and the most intimate connection, uh, which means that in a sense, Christ's human nature, his sacred humanity, as we call it, uh, which has been instrumentalized in this profound way, is the bridge uh, to our human nature as being connected to the divine. We are not going to be connected, con conjoined in that intimate way, as you mentioned, but the same we have the same in a sense properties or capacities or powers because christ's human nature is a human nature it's not a divine nature so it that means that and this is the this is the kind of weird part right he has christ has two intellects and two wills right he's not two persons but he's he has he has the divine will and he has a human will because a human nature is a rational nature and he has a human intellect and a divine intellect one person using two wills two intellects it's complicated if you can try it it's really confusing but it works it's i mean he seems to be doing fine what read the gospel he, he can move and talk and he's go, he's in good shape um but the nice part about it is that it means that nothing that was assumed and conjoined you could say uh to to christ and to the god to the godhead to the godhead is essentially different from us right if you ha didn't have the mediator, if you didn't have Christ becoming incarnate and taking human nature and conjoining in this intimate way, then there'd be this gap between the divine nature and the human nature. We'd be so different from him. But because of Christ there, it means that when Christ is united through grace, uh, capital grace and all the distinctions that Father Gregory would be happy to uh, expound on and has done in numerous places, um, you know, hashtag something at the bottom of this episode, I'm sure. Um, so that his intellect and his will as a human nature is like our intellect and our human will. Now, he doesn't have sin, that's for sure. That makes a difference. But remember, sin isn't an essential part of our nature. It's not our nature to sin. Uh, it's a deficiency. So that we can have a hope that when redeemed by grace, and we talk about the sacraments and such, there is no bar other than a contingent one about sin of being as the church fathers called divinized in a way or united or related to God because of Christ. Why? Because we see in Nunes, we see him. He's the model between his, the incarnation as what we are to be in a sense with God. So it's like Russian, we're on the Russian theme here. It's like nesting dolls, you know, like they kind of, oh, you see the relationship inside itself, or maybe he's like a metonym or something, right? He is not only the relation, but also is the, is the, image of the relation so that's that yeah that conjoined of the rational the whole human nature he's got it and he wants to share he wants to do something similar with you that's the claim um i'm writing a part of chapter four right now of my dissertation um so this episode will be called christ and dissertations um bearing bearing the cross um or bearing in your body the wounds of christ uh, so i'm writing a part of my dissertation right now and the basic theme is, so God is, St. Thomas refers to God as the primordial exemplar of our, you know, divinization of our salvation, however you want to describe it. Basically, the pattern of creation and recreation pre-exists in God, and it proceeds forth from God as the word, all right? So it's identified with the Son in a peculiar way. Basically, 
our Lord is the blueprint of creation and the blueprint of recreation. So it's most fitting that he take human flesh and bring about that work of recreation because it is always and everywhere kind of present to him as the way in which he receives his divine nature or in the way in which he's begotten, which is kind of a complicated theme, but it gets less complicated as you go. And so uh, in, in the incarnation, what do we see in our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think C is a good way to approach the mystery. He makes God manifest, right? He makes God manifest. And in making God manifest, he makes manifest to us who we are in turn. And he also provides by that manifestation a way back to God. So how does he do that? Well, in, in taking human flesh, that primordial exemplar of creation and recreation is made human. So it's not that God was inaccessible to us or unavailable to us. I mean, left to our own human resources, by virtue of the fact that we had sinned, we were kind of bankrupt. And as a result of which, we couldn't draw from our heavenly accounts. Um, but, but God remains available. What happens in the incarnation is testimony to the fact that God loves in such a way as to condescend to us. He loves in such a way as to accommodate the transmission of salvation so that it is as near to us as is conscionable, right? He, 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 he makes it to assume or he makes it to adopt a human form so that we can recognize it as such, but underwritten by the infallibility of God's exemplarity. So it's a divino human exemplarity. And exemplarity is a big fancy word, which means that you show something before you make something, right? So when an artist uh, paint something on a canvas. He has a notion of it in his mind before he goes about with the, with the sketch. That which he has in his mind, we refer to as the exemplar. And so too, our salvation pre-exists in God in his nature, but then it's transposed through his humanity. His humanity becomes the prism through which the white light of the divine life is passed. And what we see is a kind of refraction in the visible spectrum, which for us is more receivable because it, it, it kind of hits us in a way that we're better able to appreciate, that we, that we thrill at the recognition of, and as a result of which are more inclined to or more efficaciously inclined to respond to. Um, which, I, yeah, I'm just kind of getting blown away by the stuff that I'm writing right now. If yeah. it weren't such hard work, I would, you know, whatever. I'd, I'd be more elated about the fact, but as I experience it presently, it's like sweet and holy drudgery. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's a kind of well, stupendous fact. Go, go, it go, is. go. No, no, I, I was, uh, I, how dare I step in here to, uh, to stop you from <laughs> such things because everyone wants to listen to you wax incredibly poetic about this of your absolute knowledge. So when we do one on like, you know, you know, early, early modern German pietist philosophers, maybe I'll be waxing poetic, but who cares? Um, I think this relates to what your claim here is once you understand God, Christ's incarnation, you realize that he's the only mediator. So the claim of, of in Acts 4.12, that only under him, only under, by his name shall anyone be saved. And not as an epistemic, like, you have to say the right name, the magic password to get into heaven. I think that's how in some Protestant circles, it's a cognitive, like it's a cognitive kind of exclusivity of Christ and salvation. Like he's the only passcode that gets you in. And so you need to know him cognitively. No, it's, it's the claim that Christ, that God's plan for uniting with humans is here and only here so that anything else except uniting in this way would not be uniting to God in salvation. It might be something else, like you might, there might be other names under heaven that might help you to think about God, relate you to God in some sort of way, but in terms of uniting, well, God says, well, yeah, I unite, I want to unite to human nature. That's what salvation is, this participation relationship to God in close union. Um, 
And here is the pattern. It is the, the God-man, that the sacred man, the humanity is taken up in a way, that human nature is taken this. Okay, so that means that that's how I do it. That's the best I do. So that if you want to relate, you have to relate to the one who is related to human nature. So it's not, a, it's not merely, I should say, a cognitive relation to Christ that allows you to have a relationship to God and salvation. It's a fully ontological relation. And now that's where the sacraments come in, this sort of thing. But it's, it's through his human nature because that's the way God patterns it. So exclusivity is not some sort of Gnostic notion of exclusivity. It's a, it's a metaphysical, ontological notion of exclusivity, that this is how God relates to human nature in the Incarnation, and therefore he's the only one you can relate to God through. All right. In the, in the remaining time of this episode, then, let's just turn briefly to the mysteries or to the deeds and sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. Because, you know, when you look at them from one angle, they seem kind of excessive or they seem somewhat repetitive. Because, so for instance, we talk about salvation sometimes in terms of merit. So God says, all right, let me set up this arrangement such that if you do something in charity, I'll give you a reward. All right. Well, our Lord is constituted in a quasi-infinite charity. And so everything that he does has a kind of quasi-infinite merit attached to it. And so St. Thomas will say things like, from the moment of his conception, our Lord merits our salvation. The question remains then, why would the Lord go ahead and live for an additional 33 years? Is that not just adding merit to merit to merit? You know, what is infinity plus infinity? It's infinity. So what is it about the mysteries of the life of Christ that manifest salvation or that communicate salvation? What is it about the mysteries of the life of Christ which tell us something about God or give us something about God? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, because, because he has to be embodied, uh, because we're human beings who, have, who learn through our senses and, have, and, and therefore we conform in some ways to those, to those things outside of us through our senses and through that, then it can't just be a data download uh, that Christ teaches about, about who God is. He has to live it. He has to express it, you know, express the human nature as divinely, as united to to the divinity, such that then we can imitate, not in the sense of imitation by just our own merits, but to see that expression personified and humanified, you could say, if that's harmonized. I don't know. That's so that it, for us, because we're humans and not, angels probably don't need this sort of thing. If it was just a world of angels they had to save, well, it's a more complicated case. You living, of course, but he's saving humans and humans learn and know and love in particular ways, embodied ways. And so I think that the mysteries teach through, it's for us, it's not for him. He doesn't need to do it, as you said. It's for us to be more fully brought in with our intellects and our wills as humans living towards him, I think. Is that close to being right? Yeah, no, that's, no, it wasn't a, wasn't an exam. That's beautiful. I'm just going to say something that's complimentary. Um, one, one way in which I think about this is that God is simple. Um, and by simple, we don't mean that God is easy to understand, but it means that God's not divided. Okay, so God doesn't have parts. God just is God, right? God subsists as deity. Um, and so when God communicates himself to his creatures, he typically uses signs, images, he uses instruments or intermediaries as a way by which of kind of like breaking it down for us. Now, that's some crass language right there, but you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, so, so one of the things that I think that's beautiful about the mysteries of the life of Christ is that they kind of, um, 
They show us who God is. They show us how God loves. They show us what salvation is meant to communicate. And they do it in a variety of forms or they do it in a variety of ways. Why? Well, because they're addressed to us. They're addressed to human beings. And what, what, what do we know about human beings? Well, it takes us a while to learn something, for one. Also, our life is, you know, we'll often refer to our life as a kind of pilgrimage, right? So we progress towards our end by a series of many movements. Like you said, it's not just a data download, okay? It's a life. And, and so one thing that's beautiful about the mysteries of the life of Christ is that they tell the story of a life. So Christ was conceived, Christ was born, Christ was presented, Christ was lost to his parents, Christ came onto the stage in a public ministry, Christ taught, Christ performed miracles, Christ was transfigured, you know, Christ suffered, died, rose, ascended, etc. You know, we see all of that because Christ lives the, 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 the integrity of a, of a narrative arc, all right? And so we can say things like Christ tells the story of salvation in his flesh and that he continues to tell the story of salvation in our flesh. Uh, and so, you know, St. Paul will say that we fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, not because objectively speaking, there's anything lacking to them, but because subjectively speaking, it remains for us to appropriate them. And so to aid us in that effort of appropriation, God shows us salvation in X, Y, Z scenes. Okay. And, and at the end of the gospel of John, the evangelist says, I just recorded a few things. I, I literally, if I were to try to record all the things that happened, it would fill books and books and books. It would just be beyond comprehension. It would be beyond recounting um, because so abundant is the divine life, which is communicated. So infinite is mm. the divine life, which is communicated, which is simply can't be captured. And so God does this thing because it's a good thing, because it's addressed to us as a human thing. Uh, I don't know what you think about that. Well, I wanted to say, but the John passage, I and mean, the, the, so God's human life, you could say, the human, the human life that God lives in Christ is, is a perfect life. And we think, oh, he just didn't make any mistakes. But there's a positive aspect to it in the sense that when John says, I couldn't I'd fill up books and books and books, we don't mean like, oh, he went here and here and here and here. We mean like you could drill down on Christ sitting by the creek or something, and you could see a perfect human life such that for some, most of our things, we don't want people watching us all the time because we don't live a perfect life. And we, people, you know, I, you just don't like videos at all, at all times, even though we're moving to this, it's privacy, blah, blah, blah. But because mainly because we don't live a perfect life and we're not any, if you drill down on us, you'd realize, oh, a lot of those things you did today actually are with Christ. Not, he lived a perfect life such that when I, I've always thought when John says, be filled with books. It's not that he would have a ton of extra things necessarily, but that he could say more and more because each act of Christ's life, his human life, uh, is so resplendent with beauty and perfection and goodness shot through such that you could just never stop looking at it from different angles. There's just one event of him holding this, this, this poor person's hand or this human miracle. There's just so much to say because there's nothing you wouldn't want to say about it because there's nothing that's sinful that you want to hide or that's boring. That it, it's, he's, he's like super high def. It's like sometimes you watch high def movies and it's so painstaking. It's so, it's like painful. It hurts the eyes because it's so sharp. And I think in some ways his life is a high definition kind of life that, it's humanity at its best and we write that off but like actually you could just keep talking about it from all different mm. we could just keep talking about it i think scriptures get some of this we read the same things over and over again why because we see newer things in them because they're so full and rich and pregnant with the perfection of god's human life yeah and so when you know some people will say you know christ did this to give give us an example i mean that's first peter christ did this so that 
he give us an example so that following in his footsteps, you may be like unto him. But um, it's not just an example in the way in which we ordinarily describe example. It's not like Christ was humble so that you might prayerfully consider being humble in the future. It's like Christ is humble because that virtue is actually, it's not a proxy for, but it's, it's the human shape of, of a divine attribute. All right? It's the human shape of the Godhead under a certain aspect. And when he, when he lives that humility in human flesh, all right, he, he shows you, and in showing it to you, he communicates it to you. Uh, because he kind of draws you into its imitation by grace and by virtue, which grace and virtue passes first through his humanity, touches your humanity, draws you into the mystical body of whom he is head, right? But ultimately, with the with the with the end of you know introducing you into the very divine life itself, like bringing you into the conversation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by conversation, I don't just mean like they're chatting. I mean like conversatio, like their their manner of living, their mode of life. So, like you said. Um, each of them is is a is a hyper concentrated expression of who God is and how God loves, or who God is and how God operates, and so you can continue to gaze upon them uh, without any prospect of disappointment, uh, or without any prospect of exhausting the mystery, because they are they are deep deep pools, uh, the depths of which cannot be sounded. For it is, you know, uh, the depths of God, who is Himself. Saint John Damascene says, an infinite ocean of substance. Um, all right, final thoughts uh, on our Lord Jesus Christ for this episode, I should mm. specify. I, I suspect you have many more final thoughts about our Lord Jesus Christ before you breathe your last. Um, I would say the, the beauty thing about Christ is that he, he, sh- he shows and exemplifies and models the perfect human life. It's so easy to be, to be like closet Donatists and think he's just like God coming down and, and you know, wearing, disguising himself as a human but the Christology that we're talking about and Christology as it's conceived of in all the great traditions, especially in the Thomistic tradition, is that he, no, no, he embodies and not just embodies, he is the perfect virtuous life, human life, such that by meditating upon his humanity, which is sacred, it leads us closer than anything else to the meditation upon God's, God's holiness. So it's not like you have to skip over humanity, which put it this way, humanity is not too far from God because God is not not far from humanity in Christ. Amen. Boom. All right. I think that's a beautiful place at which to end. So with that, thanks again to all of our supporters. Uh, if you would like to tithe to our work, please check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it helps a lot if you like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Please visit godsplanning.org to shop our merchandise, which will eventually be updated to reflect our new branding, our new logos, which you may or may not have seen, but it's been that way for the past few weeks and it'll be that way for many weeks to come. Also, you probably noticed the fact that we reintroduced I'm a Dog because of public outcry at the change and public demand for the return. Uh, And also at godsplanning.org, you can find dates and information on upcoming events, three retreats this summer, uh, all of which we are super pumped for and we hope you're able to attend. Uh, So that's it from us. Our prayers are for you. Please pray for us and we will catch you next time on God's Money.